Welcome to Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I am one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight, and we're still quarantining. We we haven't seen each other for over a month, and um, it's it's getting hard. Not gonna lie, getting hard. <laughs> but on the other end, there we got Freddie. What's up? Stay spoopy. Staying spoopy and safe, hopefully. Also known as Nighty Night. And on the other end, there we got David. Bringing you the virtual spoops. Virtual spoopy boys. Also known as Nightly. But we are a group of knights with an absolute love for film and a passion for horror. This is a podcast that takes a different horror film to break down and discuss the ultimate question. Why horror? So hit the lights, sit back, and let the darkness envelope you. You can support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife. And that's night with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. A new episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. Now, the featured film we're talking about tonight is Adam Robitel's The Taking of Deborah Logan. First and foremost, boys, thoughts. This is a this one's a doozy. What do you Freddie, think? Would you like to begin? Uh, sure, yeah. I would say that this movie is definitely very unique. I've never seen anything like it. <laughs> it's interesting. Uh, it's definitely its own category in the horror genre. Uh, but yeah, this is a good. Is this our last found footage movie? No, we got one more. After one more. This. Okay, yeah. So this is holding pretty strong to a pretty good okay. found footage movie. I would say. I I agree. Um, I I wouldn't by all means say this movie is insane and unique. Well, no correction. This movie is insane, but it, I I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily go as the term like this is the best filmed movie of all time. But it definitely has like a lot of fun vibes um, that gives you this ominous, strange, very uncomfortable feeling. Uh, especially when you're watching someone who is supposed to be suffering from Alzheimer's and you just, oh my gosh, like there's like no hope for this person. Um, and in my opinion, it actually doesn't end like on a good note. Um, I think the movie ends fine. I, I'm saying like the 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 actual ending itself, uh, it wasn't a happy ending um, in my opinion. Um, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit later, but. Uh, what I yeah. really found fascinating about this film was the senses that it was grounded in reality with a paranormal story. Mm-hmm. So I think realistically, if you're, let's say, in your living world, you are faced with something paranormal. And we've seen what happens when people become possessed. Mm-hmm. The symptoms seem very disease-like. Um, or we always lead to science and i love that this film really took the approach that this woman is suffering from alzheimer's um her mind is deteriorating her behavior is a correlation to her disease Mm -hmm. and what's fascinating is that the pacing on this movie is so well done where i agree it really grounds you in reality because it is found footage that we have to think logically about what's happening to her mm-hmm. and okay. we have to repeatedly take her to the hospital and it's stressful because the doctors don't know what's going on. Absolutely. And it's not until, man, maybe three fourths through the movie that the um, spirituality of all of it gets, gets brought up and yeah. that exorcism may be needed to cleanse her. And I thought it was so well done as far as, again, being rooted into reality in mm-hmm. the 
the reaction to being faced to something like this in someone's normal life that you would never have pegged. And yeah, I think it's just very impressively done. I agree. Um, And I, I actually, I've seen this movie multiple times and I remember when this movie started picking up steam again, like literally recently, like this, this movie started picking up major steam in like January. So Shudder worked really hard to get it onto their platform because they were like, we need to get this movie here. But I remember watching this movie back in 2014. Um, it was on Netflix actually. And, oh. um, and I, I remember this movie like, had a very small release window or something, and it was on, like, Netflix in, like, December of 2014. This movie came out, like, in October of 2014. It was something crazy like that. And when I watched it, I was just like, oh, man, like, this movie's actually really interesting. It's, and I enjoy it. I do enjoy this movie and I, I, cause I, it, it's a, it's a ride. Like it's constantly go, 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 go. There's no slow moments in this movie at all. And yeah. And that's really cool when you're not really seeing anything throughout this film. You're not seeing yeah. any like special effects. Nothing you're not crazy. seeing anything yeah. demonic, which I'm always a fan of seeing. Right. Mm-hmm. Just in, I mean, an episode or two ago, um, I forgot what episode it was, but I was really explaining that I'd love, Oh, it was for, um, um, the curse. I forgot the Norori. The curse. Yeah. Yeah, I was really explaining that I love seeing what we're dealing with. I mm-hmm. love seeing the spiritual or demonic entity that we're dealing with, and that was a big knock for the film for me. But yeah. in this film, you don't see any of that until very much <laughs> to pretty much the end. The but end, sure. even in that, you're really looking at Deborah, right. and um, I was enjoying the ride, just like you were saying, Prince. Mm-hmm. Even though I wasn't seeing anything, Deborah yeah. herself and what was inhabiting her was enough for me and her weird behavior. Yes. And yeah. I was thinking this is Alzheimer's, you know, yeah. um, really well done. And I love how grounded and realistic the characters are because, I mean, it's it's premised with we're doing a a college project um, for a medical project, it seems like. And it seems very realistic and the characters seem realistic and um in the sense of how different they are to the family they're visiting. Mm-hmm. And even we'll talk about it later, but someone straight up leaves in the middle of the movie. And yeah. I'm like, this is genius because yeah. that would happen in real like life. How, yeah. Exactly. How often are we like, yo, I would just dip. Right. <laughs> and this guy was like, fuck that. I'm gone. Peace. <laughs> it's so genius. Yeah. And I completely agree with that. Like, having someone leave in the interim of the movie literally the halfway mark like we're like yeah. holy shit like there's so much more movie left to yeah because it's been done before yeah exactly very but, early on usually exactly yeah like it happens almost immediately or something like that and to be honest like if you even think about like death count and things like that she only technically kills like one person like one person only technically dies um yeah. but at the same time, like this movie didn't need that because it had such a uh, a grounding experience for the audience to where I felt I felt completely perfectly paced. I didn't feel rushed in what I was experiencing either. Like I just felt like I was in a really good spot with the way everything was. And it just oh, man, like I just loved every every moment of how that how that movie is paced and it's a found footage movie that i always recommend to people where i'm just like you like found footage did you have you seen the taking of deborah logan and 
nine times out of ten, people say no because it's it's that grounded. It's it's like it's that dug down deep inside of like the trenches of what these types of movies are. And even um, when Freddie, you posted like a little snippet of of the movie, and it was a, it was it was of a jump scare. Yes. And um, you, you did that on Instagram, and I reposted it. And I got even messages from people who were just like, yo, what movie is this? Like, yes, I know you're like same. the horror dude, so like, what movie is this? Dude, <laughs> like, I, I got so many DMs that day. It's like, oh, this movie looks sick. What movie is it? And I told them, and then I was like, just be prepared. It's kind of fucked up. I mean, yeah. no, I'm the one recommending it. definitely rough. <laughs> it's like, if yeah, I'm going to recommend it to you. I, there's yeah. definitely moments where I cover the screen or looked away because it just gets kind of... gets gross. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The funny Gross. part about the Instagram post about like the jump scare, that is mm. a very like minimal part. That's a very there's, yeah, that's a very minuscule jump scare. Something dude, just falls in the closet, right? Yes. <laughs> there there's not a lot of jump scares in this movie. So it's kind of funny no. that that's the thing that got posted, but the reality is that the movie's like what you guys said, it's very grounded, it's very real, and it's very mm-hmm. subtle. Most of its scariness comes from the imagery and shots that's Deborah and Deborah kills it. Actress. 100%. She is fantastic. Yeah. Like, I, like she, she is. blew me away on how good of an actress she is. And yes. This is, this is the, what I'm talking about when it comes to films like this where they don't get that much love. And this is why you guys know my hatred of the word elevated horror because that actress, I'm blanking out on her name right now, but that actress, she has, she is just so much range and the perfect person to play Deborah, and it's just you felt you you believed her performance mm-hmm. and that was the most important thing was the fact that you needed to believe her performance jill larson that's her name um and the the fact that she was just constant like from back and forth to where she looked dilapidated then she looked pretty and uh she looked like a nice sweet old woman and Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden that shift and you're just like oh shit like you see that she looks like she is dying and it damn it is so, 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 so well done. And I was even checking her like resume a little bit for filmography. And she's done a few things on like television and things like that. But she's also in the show Hunters. She's in that the the Jordan Peele um, produced show Hunters where they're hunting uh, like Nazis in the 1970s. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she's in that show as well. And when I found that out, I was like, damn, I actually want to check this show out now because of her. Because I, I find her as such a fascinating actress. But she was also in um, Shutter Island. Oh, Ooh. interesting. Yeah, was she, she was... the one that hushes? Yes, that's her. Oh, my God. I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. Wow. Yep, that's her. Yeah, she yeah. has that look down. Yeah, dude. She's, she's so good. And I was like, God damn, like she's I would love to see her perform a little bit more. Um and that's why I really want to check out Hunters now because I was just like, I, I want to see more of her because she's a fantastic actress. Um, but I, I really, I definitely agree with you guys that this, the way this movie works and flows, it, it, it completely throws that terminology of elevated horror um, out the window because it's just like, no, dude, this shit's been here forever. Like this, these are tropes that we've seen before. We just haven't seen them done this way. Mm-hmm. And this is something that I found 
really, really important in this movie. And um, I find this this movie should be a pinnacle in found footage films because of how they take their time with getting things right. And because the most important thing when it comes to a found footage movie is we have to believe as an audience, why is this person still holding the camera? That is the most important thing in a found footage movie for an audience member to believe. Why is this person still holding this camera? And this movie does it so well because, again, we are in the same mindset as the people, the characters in the film. We Mm -hmm. think this is Alzheimer's. We're still trying to find out more about this, you know, confusing disease firsthand. Mm -hmm. And we're not questioning anything. there's weird shit going on, right? Yeah. There's like weird things going on. But at the same time, some of them are chalking it up to, oh, well, that's Alzheimer's disease because the doctor, Dr. Nazir said she will be hallucinating. She will see things that Mm -hmm. you are not going to see. So it's, oh, fuck, man. Sorry, go ahead, Set it up perfectly. <laughs> no, that that was it, basically. I yeah. think it's just we're in the same mindset that the characters are in. We're Absolutely. not really questioning it. I I mean, watching it and knowing it's a horror movie, right? I know something's up. Sure, but of course. I found myself not wondering when that something that was up was going to appear. Like, yeah. it, I was just like, oh, man, this sucks. Like, you can tell she's really, you know, losing her mind in yeah. a in a sad way um, because it's not too far off with how people may react to the disease. At least I'm very ignorant when it comes to Alzheimer's, but I, from what I do think I know, mm-hmm. I think it's not very far off until it starts getting really crazy, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think the film sprinkles in important information like you added, Prince, that, yeah. you know, she'll be hallucinating. She'll be um, seeing things that you don't see. They even throw in uh, a little sprinkle of eventually the brain will stop forgetting how to breathe yeah. um, and so on. And that uh, correlates to all the moments where she's really huffing and puffing and mm-hmm. you think she's just having a reaction and her brain's not handling her respiratory system correctly. And it, it it's so well done because it brings you back into a logistical viewpoint of what reality is like, mm-hmm. that it really is found footage. Yeah, absolutely. And I was, uh, shout out to the homies over at uh, Nightmare on Film Street, but Kim and John on Nightmare on Film Street, they they had a discussion about this movie too. And uh, it was a few months ago. And um, Kim's, I want to say her grandfather had Alzheimer's. And the way she explained it was just like, like this movie hits on points that really hit hard for me because she remembered some of those things of how he would talk and how he would feel. And uh, what we've seen, like, because this movie takes a really deep dive into Alzheimer's of the disease and how it manifests and things like that. Because I've always wondered, like, about this disease of, like, okay, like, how can it truly kill you? Um, because from what we know... I, I guess as 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 a a group of um, people who don't really have never truly had to experience this disease firsthand, we just see it on TV as like oh well they lose their memory, but it it this movie takes a whole different thing where it's like it's literally a disease eating their brain and it's eating yeah. pieces of their uh, of their hippocampus their serotonin their like it's literally taking things away um, and having that explanation in this film just really hits because you're just like, holy shit. And the thing is that makes this movie actually good is the fact that 
not only sure the paranormal stuff is great in this movie, it works beautifully, but this movie still would have worked really well if none of that would have been in this movie. Yeah, I had to agree. That's like, true. The, yeah. It, like this movie still would have been really scary of someone initially kind of losing their mind. Mm-hmm. And it, even if she would have been just a person who was losing her mind and I don't know, going on a cannibalistic tirade because she forgot how to eat meat or whatever, like that still would have been scary. Like this did not need the paranormal element. It was awesome that it added it because it was just like, cool. It's this one disease chalked up to being now a paranormal thing, which is fun for us horror fans. But at the same time, it was just like, like, wow, like this movie could have definitely stood alone by just having a more medical scientific evaluation of this uh, person. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, we can talk on and on about this movie, <laughs> but let's jump into the plot. The Taking of Deborah Logan, directed by Adam Robitel. Released on October 21st of 2014, a runtime of one hour and 31 minutes, a budget of $1.5 million, which is still considered low budget, just for all you guys out there, that is still considered low budget, a box office of $400,000, not not much, but it's fine, it's fine, this movie didn't do too great in the box office, but it's okay, (laughs) but a score of 89% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's right where I should be at. I agree. Yeah, I absolutely. agree. I feel like that is a solid score and it it tells you initially what you're going to kind of get yourself into where it's just like, okay, this movie might be good. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> this movie might actually be good. And that's why I told you guys don't watch any trailers about this or anything like that because I think the last episode was the first time you guys heard of this movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think you exactly. brought it up before once, but yeah. I might have, yeah, and like I'm an advocate of this movie. Like I, I'm, I tell people if you like found footage, this is the movie you need to watch. Um, mm-hmm. But I do want to mention really quick that the trailer gives this does this movie a disservice um, to where it it doesn't show too much, but it tells you, oh, it's a paranormal element, and you're just like, fuck, damn it, like. <laughs> When you oh, guys watch this, it. you guys didn't know that because the name doesn't give it away. The taking of Deborah Logan. That is Alzheimer's disease. It is literally taking her brain away from her. It is yeah. oh, fucking genius. Fucking genius. But anyway, we open with the sound of a car and a text on screen. Quote, the following film includes a partly edited medical documentary outtakes and surveillance footage from the scenes of the crime. And the date of October 12th, 2013. Medical student, student Mia Hugh and her documentary crew um, travel to Eczema, Virginia to meet with Alzheimer's patient Deborah Logan and her daughter Sarah Logan. Mia and her crew, Gavin and Luis, pull up to Deborah's house and they are greeted by Deborah's daughter Sarah. She's super chipper too. She's like, hi, oh my God. Hey, yeah, she is. <laughs> so chipper. <laughs> um, they park, introduce themselves, and start walking with Sarah. Since Sarah has never done anything like this before, she jokingly is questioning how she should be, how she should act, and so on and so forth. Mia tells her, just act natural, be yourself, ignore the camera crew. And she's like, oh, okay, cool, that should be easy. Sarah's talk is uh, um, taking them to meet her mom, Deborah, but she can't seem to find her in the back of their home. She stops Mia to ask about the grant money first before they continue going forward. And Mia reassures her that, uh, that she does, in fact, have the money that they discussed and she'll be able to get the money. I was very curious to, see, to know how much money was on the line. 
for real yeah because it, it seemed like they really cared about it too like it was a good amount exactly but see that was also a really smart thing as well um because that was the motivation behind the, us as an audience exactly. to still believe these people need to be here because these people really need money yep like they got medical bills and shit that they need to pay for so they obviously really need this money um, so I thought that was actually really clever for them to add that little tidbit in there just to let us know, like, hey, they're not they're not doing great, great with cash right now. They're not they're they're they look like they're well off. But she had this house since the 70s. So they're fine with this house. The house is probably paid off for and things like that. But now they got medical bills and shit that they need to pay for and worry about, um, especially since uh, Deborah had her own business. Right. So she didn't have medical insurance. I would assume. So, I don't know. Sarah goes over to um goes over how to act around Deborah. Uh let her know like yes ma'am, no ma'am and th- please and thank you. You know, it's a southern southern lady. They find Deb slightly in the for oh, excuse me. I I I switch back and forth from Deb and Deborah. So, just a heads up everybody. They find <laughs> Deb slightly in the forest um doing some yard work with Harris. They head over uh, to her and Sarah reminds her that they are making a, a documentary about her. Uh Deborah excitedly says that they are making a movie about her and Harris seems pretty chipper about it too and thinks it's a good idea at this time. Um uh Deb packs up her garden tools and they head to the shed uh to put them to put them away she tells mia that she uh, is interested in this because it is educational and that she does not intend on being exploited mia tells her that none of the, none of that is are part of her intentions and shares that her grandfather died from the disease mm. <laughs> uh deborah continues with uh, with her being private and having second thoughts about the whole thing walking away and sarah runs after her to explain how much this can help Gavin is asking Mia about uh, what she said about her grandfather, and, she, and he thought that they were on vacation in New Zealand, and she was lying a little bit, right? <laughs> um, that part was a little fucked up. <laughs> yeah, I have to agree. <laughs> part was definitely fucked up. I immediately didn't like her after hearing all that. Same. Yeah, same. Um, she tells them that she needed a little nudging, and I even put here, damn, that's messed up. Luis is filming Sarah and Deborah outside through the window, and they are arguing about needing needing to do this for the money. Deborah tells her that she has changed her mind and that she doesn't want to do it anymore. Gavin questions Mia about them being broke, and Mia says that they won't sell their home, so they need um, so they need the money. Um, and. I even kind of put here, I was like, sounds a little exploitative right here. Right. Where you're just like, you're like, ooh, like, all right. Now you're you're pretty much preying on these people because they need money. It does set up a lot of character growth, though. 100%. Oh, for sure. 100%. Because I I even started off not liking Gavin and Mia, and I only liked Elise. Um, And then at the very, towards the mid part when, when Gavin split, I was just like, yeah, nah, dude, I would have done the same thing. Like, <laughs> yep, I don't blame same. you. Like, after someone starts shooting at my fucking car, get out of here. Oh, uh, yeah. Like, how Sarah's, do you... Yeah, how do you come back how do you? That? How do you keep going, yeah? It's like, like, oh, he was like, drunk. Whatever. You're just like, yeah, like, how are you going to... Like, no, fuck that. That dude obviously is crazy. He obviously doesn't want us here. 
Therefore, I'm not, no, I'm not going to stick around just to see if he will shoot me next. No, I'm not doing exactly. it. Sorry, Mia. <laughs> Sarah <laughs> starts crying about her trying, uh, trying hard and, and uh, uh, make things run, and Deborah consoles her and holds her close. Deborah notices the camera um, peeking inside of the home and looks directly at the camera, but draws her attention back to Sarah when she tells her that, uh, that they need the help and she needs the help. One week later, they are back at the house. Sarah opens the door and greets them, and Deborah is behind the door greeting them as well. Deborah brings her uh, brings her into a painting room, and they are looking at her wallpaper. She doesn't remember the name of the bird, and Gavin tells her that it looks like a blue-tailed finch. And Deborah, very excitedly, is just like, "Oh, you you have knowledge of birds? Like, oh yeah, like she <laughs> she found a connection." Uh, with him for that second, but was interrupted by Sarah um, when uh, Gavin picked up a wooden posture doll uh, and she took it out of her out of his hands. Right? She's like, "Oh no, no, no! Don't don't touch that! Don't touch that!" And I was very thinking about disrespectful. It was it was very disrespectful um, for him to do that. And I was right. even thinking to myself, I was just like, "Like who? What? Why would goes you around go touching to so- stuff? Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. why would you go into someone's house that you just met?" It's not like you guys were hanging out for a week. You guys literally probably had them think about it for a week. And you came back, and this is your first official time in their house, obviously, because they're showing you around. Why mm-hmm. are you touching shit? It's like you already Stop. have a camera in their face, and it's an invasion yeah. of privacy already, let alone exactly. now you're just touching their personal belongings. It's like, it's like what, dude. What the fuck? Dude, yeah, Gavin definitely started off with a real bad taste in my mouth. They go into <laughs> another room, and Gavin asks about the chandelier and touches it. Deborah is trying to politely tell them to uh, stop touching things, and Mia cuts in to tell them that they will not be touching anything else. And Sarah even butts in and chokes uh, about his curiosity a little bit. She's like, "Yeah, you just love touching stuff. Can't even keep your hands still." I, mm-hmm. <laughs> I would have been like, "All right, bro, come on now." They are headed into the room that they uh, will be staying in during uh, during their stay. They stop quickly to see Sarah's old room. Then we make it to where Gavin and and Luis will be staying. Gavin is definitely not happy by this arrangement. Like you could just see the look on his face, and he's just like, "What the fuck?" And uh, <laughs> Sarah whispers uh, whispers to him, wh- whispers in his ear to tell him to thank her. He stops Deborah to to thank her for the hospitality and drops his smile when he looks into the camera. Like, <laughs> come on, dude. Like, you're, at you're, first there, it was, like, you're there for a job, dude. Right. Yeah. At first it was annoying, but then it's like, oh, comedic relief here. Exactly. Yeah. Like, and that's the thing about this movie. The comedic relief was oddly placed. Correct. Yeah. It I was. Agree. Yeah, it was just like, we'll get to it, some moments. I think at this point, it does feel natural. It's like, here's this awkward ass dude. And. I think it's just that he's awkward. He doesn't have manners and disrespectful. I mean, he, he's he's probably a city boy, right? Like, I mean, exactly. I, I forgot yeah. what school they said she went to, but it was a school in the East Coast. So it, it's it, uh, he's he's probably a city boy who drove to the the South with these people that he probably he didn't he didn't know them either, right? Like, I mean, he knew Luis. He's worked with Luis because I think they were a duo. Um, where yeah. he, uh, Gavin was an editor, Luis was the camera dude, and she was just a, a student who's working on her thesis. So, and she hired them. So initially, they they don't know Mia. So it's it's yeah, like I don't know. It's interesting, very interesting. It, it reminds me a lot of, and this is why I said we've we've seen this trope before. This trope is from the Blair Witch. That's this true. Is the exact, yeah. This is the exact same thing in the Blair Witch, where obviously not as exciting, but 
the same camera kind of guy, thing. The, yeah. Camera guy. She knew him. She knew the camera guy, but he brought along a friend that they met that or that she met for the first time that day in the Blair Witch. So same kind of concept here where you, you got these group of people who don't know each other. And it's, it's a trope we've seen before. We just haven't seen it done this way. He stops Deborah to thank her for the hospitality and drops his smile when he looks into the camera. Finally, into the, into Mia's room and her aunt Edna, uh, Edna's bedroom set is all around. Uh, Gavin asks um, asks Deborah if she has ever gone to Germany, and she tells him that she hasn't and uh, she regrets not going. And Sarah stops her to tell her that she actually has gone to Germany and. Uh, Deb is just like, oh, it must have been a long time ago. She's like, no, yeah, it was a long time ago, but but you've gone and you loved it. <laughs> and mm. that's where you know where it's just like, wow. It gives like, you the evidence yeah. right there. Exactly. And you, you don't expect for it to strike a chord that hard. Yeah. But, like, it hits. And I thought, I thought it was very well done where it's just like, okay. Because in the beginning, you know something's up, obviously, because we're watching a horror movie. But you don't get that sense right away that like her Alzheimer's is bad or anything like that until you get this moment. And you're just like, yeah, because up until that point, it feels very, she seems very normal and healthy. Um, Exactly. This is, I think the first instance where you really get to get to understand it. But at the same time, it's subtle. It's uh, 100%. It's not, let's dive deep into this. She has it bad. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, okay, like I, I honestly asked myself while I was watching it at this portion, like, where is this going to go? How are we going to get to that point? Um, mm-hmm. And again, pacing, just really Absolutely. well done. Yeah, it and was I perfectly think, executed. Th- go ahead, sorry. And I was yeah, saying, 100%. It's perfectly executed because they kind of give you a lot of detail, but it's still subtle, like David was saying. It's like mm-hmm. she even threw in, it's like, oh, it was like one of your favorites, which means it's like yeah. that's something that you would not forget, but you did, which is the sad part. Absolutely, absolutely. And I love the fact that they added Sarah for this too. Um, mm-hmm. It's someone who's been with her for years, who is uh, not a longtime friend or anything like that. Like literally someone that has seen her with all of her wits and just seen it completely start to deteriorate from beginning to end. And I, I thought Sarah was the perfect character to be that backbone as a, uh, initially as the lead character in a way like she was the lead protagonist in my opinion not mia um i feel like mia started off as the main character and then it transitioned into being sarah sarah's now the main character Um, and i i love that transition when it happens too i love it love it love it uh, we cut to Mia talking about Alzheimer's disease for her thesis. She shares that Alzheimer's occurs when, when there's a protein fragments accumulate in the hippocampus, killing neurons, wiping out neurons responsible for logical thought and problem solving. It sparks terrifying hallucinations and eventually erases their deepest and fondest memories. Lastly, they forget how to completely swallow, and when that goes, death isn't far behind. And I even put here the fucking imagery that we see right. is intense. <laughs> I wrote it in it my notes too. It's very like intense. Super dark when they described the death process of Alzheimer's. I was like, damn. Oh my God. And like you seeing the people and that, that person who was literally had a sh- like that, that frozen facial expression. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That was terrifying. Heart. 
It does. It really does. And it's scary. It, it, it's really scary. And it, it like makes me think where it's just like, oh my God, like, like this could have been my grandma. Like luckily my grandma's 85 and she, she's able to, well, I'm, I'm aging her a little too high there. She's 83. <laughs> <laughs> um, and she, she still has like her memory and her wits and, and, and things like that. And she remembers a lot of, a lot of her, I guess, fondest and darkest uh, memories. Um, so I, I'm, I'm very thankful for her to, have that still because boy back in the house Deborah. oh Oh, very quickly sorry with this scene i think it's so intelligently done though because you know you see how these people have changed like yeah we're just talking about their faces and again it's rooted into reality of like if we see changes within deborah and we do throughout the film we could correlate back to well this happens during alzheimer's you know um and Again, it's just it's just sprinkled in there, but it gives you something to root it back into reality to Absolutely. not really think about this is paranormal. Exactly. Exactly. And it oh, so good. Like this does a really good job of that. Back in the house, Deborah and Sarah are getting uh, ready to be interviewed. They are ha- having a slight, slight bickering about uh, Sarah's jacket and how Sarah, she wants her to wear more feminine clothes and things like that. Uh, she takes off the jacket and they continue with the interview. Uh, Deb goes on about having senior moments and considering um, her condition d- is not that big of a deal. Sarah cuts her off to let them let them know that on several occasions she would leave the stove on and then we actually get an image of insurance photos of the stove being burnt to absolute shit. So yeah, it's a mm-hmm. problem. Uh, Deb compares herself to her mother melting pots down to the lid and Sarah continues by telling her that this was a sign of how she knew. Mia asked what sign, well, how did we know? And that was a sign. And very ir- irritable, she Deb is just like, okay, it's a sign. We cut to Dr. Nazir talking about Deborah's condition. Um, she has MCI, myocognitive impairment. They were able to diagnose that she was in the early stages of Alzheimer's. Then we cut to a video of Deborah's wedding from June 15th of 1965, and Mia telling uh, talking about Deborah's husband dying from pul- uh, pulmonary embol- em- embolism. And she had to raise her daughter on her own. She was able to start a switchboard answering service for the town of Eczema. Um, or Exuma, I guess, whatever you call it. Deborah tells them, tells them that uh, this was the way that most professionals would receive and send out messages. And she initially considers herself to be the nexus of the town. And she actually was the person who kept everyone connected. She also let the crew know that she had to cover up for people who were alcoholics, having affairs, etc., etc. Um, Sarah mentions that she didn't have to stick up for them, but she chose to. And Deborah rebuttals with uh, she had to because she was running a business and they would have left her if she didn't. And I was like, shit, real shit, loyalty. Yeah. I mean, and and um, to be honest, that's none of your business. You're you're connecting <laughs> calls like that is none of your business. Even though you can hear them, you're connecting calls like, yeah, that's true. That's, you shouldn't be getting into that anyway. Um, we cut to Deborah. Uh, we cut to Deborah going through her day to day while Mia talks about the struggles of Alzheimer's. We see that she is trying to pay for some flowers and is struggling a little bit to get the right amount of money out. We cut to uh, Deb offering Gavin some undercooked cornbread, and I put <laughs> her again. This dude is such a fucking dick during this part. He is. Like, it's just like you're obviously lying to her. 
he takes a bite and uh, is holding back from the sweetness of the bread. And she tells him that her secret was was, was what, like vanilla or some shit? Or like nutmeg or some shit? Yeah, I think so. Vanilla. It was vanilla. Yeah, it was like, yeah that's my secret. Like that. Vanilla. Uh, my grandma's secret is honey. <laughs> uh, we cut to Harris being interviewed. Plus, I've never seen pineapple on cornbread. No. <laughs> that was that was definitely new to me. Doesn't belong I'm there. An Alzheimer's thing. No, it definitely doesn't. No. Just like pizza. Wait, yeah. you said it doesn't belong in pizza? Yeah, you said it doesn't belong in pizza. What? This well, he's, he's going to fight you. Oh, my God. <laughs> and this is when David quit Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. <laughs> Spoopy <laughs> boy <laughs> out. <laughs> we come back to Harris being interviewed. <laughs> he is letting them know that she is a brave fighter and she asks rhetor- and, and he asks rhetorical questions on fighting something that you are unfamiliar with and that you cannot see. Back with Deborah, she is going over how she does puzzles, crosswords, lifting weights, and she is trying to do everything she can to slow down the process of the design. Disease. She continues by letting them know that it's actually no cure for this disease, so she just has to live with it and try her best to slow it down. Uh, we see shots of Deborah standing around in the foyer, uh, very confused, trying to figure out where she should go next. And um, we kind of initially see that the basic tasks are getting harder and harder and harder for her. And this actually reminds me of a really sad story. Uh, during my wedding back in 2018, uh, June 27, 2018, um, we were we got married in Hawaii, and there were all these posters around of this woman and saying, uh, if you see anything or if you see her or whatever, please call blah, blah, blah. Well, this woman had Alzheimer's, and when oh. we got there, she was already missing for about two weeks. And oh, no. the story got so big to the point where it did make it to the Bay Area. Um, initially, they they potentially came to the conclusion, unfortunately, that she probably walked into the ocean and she oh, drowned, no. but they never found her, from my understanding. Damn, that's so sad. sad. Yeah, yeah, it, it absolutely horrible. But like seeing like basic tasks like this initially reminded me of her, and like it was crazy because I was just like even thinking like, oh man, like gosh, I hope I hope her family found peace or or whatever, you know. But gosh, horrible, absolutely horrible. But we cut. To her working in the garden and Luis going over what she is doing or what he is doing with the camera while zooming in slowly towards Deborah. And he's like, zooming in slowly, blah, blah, blah. Deborah in the garden and he's doing this. This is initially the f- the first jump scare. Really weird thing. Yeah, first jump scare. But the really weird thing we see um, that's still not paranormal, but the first weird initial thing that we see, like, okay. We're we're back to it. This is a horror movie. She picks up a snake and holds holds it tenderly, uh, but Luis is interrupted by by a screaming Mia, telling him that he should be working on the edit at this time. And what is he doing, dicking around? While trying to explain to Mia, Deborah quickly comes up behind him, saying that she is hungry, and asks if they are hungry. Inside the house. Um, and Luis is installing cameras while Deborah is walking in and out of the shot in a daze. She stops to look up at the camera that he is installing uh, with that glaze over look, then walks into another room and slams the door on the way in. Luis, not noticing Deborah, goes down from the ladder to check on the door. He opens the door and then closes it because he actually didn't see anything um, through there. And honestly, that part alone gives me anxiety, not because of Deborah. <laughs> 
but because he was on a ladder, like right on the edge of the steps. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Oh, my gosh, dude. I was just like, dude, like if he fell, he could really hurt himself. Like he could like he could probably die like like that. That would have been a terrible fall. Um, I will admit that I felt like Sarah was flirting with Mia a couple of times. Did you guys get that vibe? Sometimes. I did get that yeah. vibe. I really was like wondering <laughs> about that. And I, I also wondered if Mia was uh being she like, was sweet back. to her back. Yeah. Yeah, she's wow. being, she was being a little a little sweet to her. Because I, I yeah. put because I, I put her as like we cut to the sexually tense uh moment with Mia and Sarah taking Sarah's blood pressure. <laughs> it was so it was so unnecessarily yeah. it was it was I mean I wouldn't say unnecessary. It, like it, it, i thought it was fun because like I mean poor Sarah's been away from her girlfriend in so long or whatever and this is probably like the closest she's been to a a, a, maybe an attractive woman since her girlfriend or partner or whoever Mia lets her know that her blood pressure is quite high and Sarah leads out with a joke before they hear screaming coming from the kitchen Deborah is accusing Gavin for taking her spade and holding a knife at him while he tries to record the situation that is happening to him Sarah is trying to uh, trying her best to get control of her mom and Gavin tries his best to get to uh, to not get shanked (laughs) (laughs) Gavin runs away while yelling that he hasn't taken her spade Deborah is screaming and going through the drawers and countertops throwing things while looking uh, looking for her shovel. They all run upstairs looking for the shovel and Sarah's trying to make sure that Gavin is okay, but he shouts that he isn't okay. Fucking dick, you're fine. You're fine. <laughs> God damn it. I don't know. She uh, was getting pretty close, to be honest. I was I like, mean, she oh was shit. Getting, she was getting close to him, but bro. But, like, he climbed up bro, the counter you, if, and she kept on coming. I was like, damn. If you can't get the shake on that old woman, that's true. <laughs> bro, That's facts. Like, bro, come on. Like, come on, bro. You Break them ankles, bro. Like, like <laughs> bro, come on. <laughs> Sarah hands, hands him the keys to look for the spade in the attic, but Gavin hands the keys over to Luis and tells him to go look instead. Luis goes in and the light won't turn on, and he's like, of course not. <laughs> he makes it to the top and notices that there's a lit lamp sitting in the middle of the room. That alone would have gotten me freaked out. Like, I would have been like, who the fuck was up here? Because the light was yeah. on on a lamp. And I was just like, that, no, that's, that's weird. That is weird. He also notices the, uh, the um, god damn it. I call it the board switcher, but that is not the name. Uh, switchboard. switchboard. Thank you. Uh, he notices the switchboard and chair. Mia calls for him, and she found the spade in the freezer. Sarah goes, what made her look in the freezer? I mean, I guess, like, I guess if you're dealing with someone yeah. with Alzheimer's, just, it's just yeah, like, they were just looking let's around. look in anywhere kind of thing like even in the places we won't expect it so i guess that's a smart move sarah goes over to her mom and tries to tell her that uh that she has her spade but she is muttering to herself excuse me she turns around and deborah is then ripping her skin from her neck oh man that was such a nice surprise to the ground (laughs) so i I, I want to talk to you guys about this part did you guys expect for this to happen? No. Not at all. I started oh. shouting. I was, I was like, like, what the <laughs> fuck? <laughs> uh, d- d- David, did you watch this with Bella? No, I didn't. Okay, okay. Smart. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Smart move. Um, yeah, this this scene, when I remember first seeing it, I was just like, holy shit. Yes, this movie needs to be watched. <laughs> like <laughs> uh, that. I, I love how everything perfect 
absolutely phenomenal with that part portion of this movie. Just you don't expect it. There's very Alzheimer'sy things going on, and once again, this still could be a case of Alzheimer's, right? Still not paranormal. Exactly. Still not paranormal. This still can be something based off of a disease. Um, Sarah tells tells for uh, excuse me. Sarah yells for them to get help, and then to cut. And then we cut off the camera. Back up, and we were in the hospital with Doctor Nazir uh, talking with Sarah about th- uh, them taking secondary scans. She tells her that the disease has spread to other portions of the brain. Nazir tells her that she has reached the middle stages of the disease, and Sarah is taken back by the news, telling her that she said that she had oh, two years or more for Deborah to reach such a stage. Nazir is putting her. Uh, uh, putting her on a higher dose of her medicine to hopefully stabilize her a bit more. Now on to day 15. Sarah's stomping around, uh, stomping out of the hospital with Deborah behind her in a wheelchair. That, and she literally is stomping out like she looks pissed. Uh, they put her in the, in the <laughs> front seat and Deborah is apologizing to Gavin about uh, the way she was acting towards him. We cut to Harris uh, telling the crew that Deborah doesn't need to go into a home, quote unquote, uh, because that is the place where you go to die, my friend, not a place to live. I mean, he ain't wrong, right? I mean, we, yeah, like all the things, yeah, and it's true. unfortunate to say, but all the things that are even happening with COVID-19, like the places that are getting hit hard in the Bay Area, at least I can't speak for the rest of the world, but are those homes. Where it's just Very like sad. we're hearing c- cases all the time. Fifty people in a senior in a senior living home got is infected with the coronavirus, and it's just like, well, fuck. It's just like, damn. But I mean, he's not wrong. While they are having this discussion with Harris, Deborah is painting, and there is a silhouette of a man that uh, she painted. Um, into her painting. Deborah is greeting Sarah and Harris. She makes some remarks about hating the way Sarah dresses once again, um, and then greets <laughs> Harris while he asks about her neck. We cut to Luis hearing uh, Deborah in her room telling someone to stay away from there. He slowly creaks the door open a little bit more. It's loud as shit, by the way. And she was repeatedly saying that she uh, she didn't know, but with the us. But with a slight hint of a second voice appearing, and you kind of hear that, that that reverberation and the change in her voice a little bit, which is mm-hmm. interesting. And but it's I, subtle I, still. Super subtle, super subtle, and and it wasn't it wasn't something to the point where it feels like someone's taking over your voice. It it felt like she was having another conversation. It, yeah. <sighs> I thought it was really done very, very well. Uh, we see that she is looking at herself in the mirror, repeating bleed, I bleed, stop, no, no. Then she notices that Louise sees her uh, through the mirror. We cut to Mia. Uh, we cut to a Mia voiceover uh, talking more about how Deborah, Deborah's brain is much like the switchboard she used to work on. Deborah is being short with Sarah, and she can see the frustration slash stress with Sarah's trying her best to take care uh, of her mother during these times she has to help she has to help her eat bathe and take her pills at night before bed sarah drinks uh drinks to some of some of the excuse me at night before bed sarah drinks to take some of the edge off from the day we cut to day night uh, day 18 sarah on the phone with her girlfriend shelly she tells she tells them that she couldn't tell her the truth about her mom and invites them to have a drink with her on the porch. Mia, Luis, and Gavin, manning the camera, uh, are all hanging out on the porch drinking. Sarah tells them that Deborah sent her to the to a boarding school in Richmond because she was caught kissing another little girl. Uh, 
During this, this story, Sarah begins to cry and tells them that Deborah was so upset and embarrassed by the whole thing, um, and that she, and that uh, she just didn't know what she was doing. They were she was a little girl, and they were experimenting initially. Luis toasts to their fucked up childhoods, and I put here, here. Back in the <laughs> house, Sarah passes a portrait of her and Deborah and comments on how much she hated those uniforms. While talking, they, are, uh, they hear an electrical disturbance reverberate throughout the house, and it sounds so cool. It's like, <laughs> it's like whoa, like an EMP went off. <laughs> yeah. Reminded me of Call of Duty. I was like, wow, that's, <laughs> that's a cool true. sound effect. <laughs> Uh, Sarah leaves to check on her on her mom upstairs, but Luis stays behind. Um, he's looking around the room, and it sounds like a radio is on. While looking at the at a door, Deborah quickly walks past, making without making any eye contact to him at all. Holy shit! So creepy. <laughs> Once again, this is why I said like this movie would have done still done a really good job if it didn't have any paranormal stuff because it was so creepy. That was very creepy. And anything you do where you just have the light on the camera as your source of lighting always just makes it super creepy. Mm -hmm. And it's fascinating to see it done. Luis calls out to her, but no answer. So he calls for Sarah. uh, So he calls for Sarah following Deb. They make it into a dark room while Deborah is looking outside of a cracked window. Luis is slowly approaching her and Sarah comes up behind him to ask her mom if she is working on a late arts and crafts project. Startling Luis, <laughs> oh, excuse me, uh, working on a late arts, arts and crafts project while she's startling Luis because Luis is like slowly going up behind her. Um, and he doesn't know that Sarah's there yet, right? Right. Um, and it, I'm not going to lie, that, that, that did kind of get me. Because I was watching this with headphones on, and I'm like, I'm, I'm kind of working at the same time at my day job, and I was like, oh shit, like, I forgot that that happened. <laughs> uh, she slowly moves up to Deborah and tells Louise that she is convinced that there um, has been an intruder around the premises. Sarah closes the window, and Deborah starts to nail it shut. Dude. And even even Sarah's like, like, oh, nailing the window shut again, Mom. Oh, here we go. Um, That's what was crazy. Deborah's- that scene was it was because but again it, before she was hammering the no no you're good I was about to say like before she was hammering the windows you could see the hammer in her hand and she's just standing there yeah. just like damn I wrote my notes I was like Deborah plays a really creepy person hammer in hand yeah. staring out the window what the fuck is this bitch doing <laughs> seriously <laughs> I was and like it, and, and, all right it, it is scary and the transition was pretty good too because it just goes straight to her hammering it doesn't show yeah, her going like, up to like the hammer it's like yeah it's so good yeah. I love it. Oh, I love it so much. What were you gonna say, David? Well, what I was gonna add in again, it's it's doing it well. Where this could be, you know, just a case of Alzheimer's. One hundred percent. Still nothing. This is the, nothing paranormal yet. It is a good payoff because at this point, we're even though it may be just a case of Alzheimer's, it's a creepy scene, like you said. And uh, for us that love horror, we're like, oh yeah, this is a good moment. Yeah. 100% completely agree with that and it's it creeps up on you on how how exciting that scene kind of is yep like it's just like because it just pops up out of nowhere initially love it um we cut to Deborah 
sleeping in her bed at 1.36 a.m. She is startled awake and gets out of the bed. We cut to the hallway camera, but no Deborah. Now, uh, now with the protect Deborah at all cost squad getting ready to look for her, Sarah goes over uh, what she is doing um, before she checked on her mom to notice uh, that she wasn't in bed. Sorry, my dog just came in here. <laughs> they start they start separating to look around for Deborah in and around the house. Louise goes goes back into the room where they where they first saw Deborah, and he notices that the window was wide open with the nails embedded um, into the window still. She, uh, he calls for Sarah, and she picks up Deborah's bloody robe on the ground outside. They are uh, running around in the forest surrounding the house, and they find Deborah stabbing at the ground vigorously. Sarah runs over to her and tries to get her to stop, and Luis is telling, telling her to not touch her. I'm just like, what? Bruh, like, no, try to help this woman. Um, I mean, I wouldn't have touched her. But if it was my mom, <laughs> I would touch her. But like, if I was yeah, in Luis's yeah. shoes, yeah, no, I'm not touching you. But if it's my mom, then yeah, like, yeah, I'm gonna try to get you to stop because I, I know you. I, I I've been with you for for years. Uh, yeah. Deborah gets up, shrieking at him, and he tries to back away, but she grabs him, screaming into the lens of the camera, then drops to the floor, crying, and cut camera. Back in the house, Mia's washing off the blood, uh, the bloody hands, while Deborah is. St- Staring at her with complete anger frozen on her face. Like she has anger and just disgust on her face at Mia right now. And what an intense scene. Because you you don't know what's going to happen. The camera angle was great. It was perfect. It was perfect. Stayed there for too long. I was like, okay. Yeah. (laughs) It looked like Deborah was going to attack her. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess she had the opportunity, right? Jesus, man. Jesus. She doesn't she doesn't answer Mia, but instead she tells her that her daughter doesn't like manicures and that she never cleans her nails. Mia tries to change the conversation to them cleaning her nails instead. Deborah, um uh and I even put here this is when I kind of start transitioning a lot to just saying Deb, doesn't answer her, but she looks slightly in the camera with a smirk. Cut to Gavin, Luis, and Mia sitting down discussing some of the footage. He shows her some of the footage of the night that Deb got out of the bed and um, and they couldn't find her. She's in the kitchen looking down at the stove and then suddenly jumps without bending her knees and ends up on the countertop. This is initially our first paranormal moment. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I liked it. So it was- good. You've never seen this before. Not at all. Yeah, because they always want to, movies always want to avoid getting anything on film, on photography, because it takes it out of that sense of reality. But this isn't afraid to do so. And again, they even question like, oh, did the video mess up? But the timing, you see the time on the video itself. It's perfectly fluid. Yeah. So, And I I think that's what helped this movie a lot, too, is the fact that they had people there who were knowledgeable about the equipment. Yep. And weren't amateurs about the equipment. They were just like, no, like that timestamp, that time. Cause like even Luis comes in the room and he's like, it's like, what about the code break? Did the code break? And like, he doesn't even say time code. And he yeah. like, like these, these are two people who know what they're doing. Therefore that made it even made it clarify for the audience, us as like, Oh shit, that was weird. We're supposed to think that's weird. Like, <laughs> like that exactly. wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> um, so it's fascinating. It's really fascinating adding 
people who know what they're doing. And this is why I, I am such a huge advocate for Paranormal Activity 3 being the best Paranormal Activity because they have uh, people in that movie who aren't amateurs with cameras. That dude was a wedding for well, a wedding uh, videographer, a wedding, a wedding. Really? I don't know why I keep saying that weird, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, he was a wedding videographer, and uh, he initially that that's that's what makes that movie so good because you're like you're dealing with people who know how this equipment works, and I think that's really genius for found footage movies instead of having someone be an amateur and uh, and all of a sudden just really good at using a camera. Like, Very true. <laughs> like so, yeah. Um, and I've even put here, almost like the sequence cut from her being on the ground to ending up on the camera. Luis asks if there is a break on the time code, and Gavin tells him that there isn't any breaks at all. Mia is trying to make sense of this all happening, and Gavin and Luis shoots, uh, shoot her ideology down because, once again, they know the equipment. And they're saying, like, no, this is not how this is supposed to work. That was weird. That was very strange and impossible to do. <laughs> they bring Sarah in to take a look at the footage as well. And Mia's explaining how there are no breaks in the time code. And I didn't, li- I didn't like this part. And this is still me bagging on the Mia train. Because I'm, I'm just like, damn it! Like, what? Well, you're, you're, you're in thunder now. Like, you, for fucking five minutes ago, you didn't believe these guys, and now all yeah. of a sudden, you're like, oh, you're an expert. Like, uh, notice how the time is still continuous. Shut up, Sarah or Mia. <laughs> uh, cut to Sarah outside speaking to Nazir, explaining the quote-unquote sleepwalking episode. Nazir agrees to uh, up the dosage for her once again while talking to Harris. While talking, excuse me, while talking, Harris walks in behind them. Sarah goes to speak with him and he tells tells her that they should take a break on filming. Sarah tells him that they need the money, but that he uh, but that she will think about it. Harris tells her that he will clean up all the holes that she dug up and for her to go ahead and head inside and take a load off. Inside, Sarah's arguing with Deb about getting on top of the stove and how she could have hurt herself. Deb is brushing it off yet again um, and tells her that, uh, so she got on the stove, big deal, and to go back to Richmond because she knows she she misses her lady friend and that she's fine here. We got to Deb sitting down for another interview for day 24. Deb is humming the French nursery rhyme, Ferushaka, while Gavin is putting on the mic. I thought that was very interesting. You guys know that nursery rhyme? Uh, yeah, I'm aware of it, but I did not yeah. know that she was humming that. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Ferushaka, Ferushaka, Oreru, Yeah, but it's it's... It was super interesting that she was uh, doing that because that's where you get the initial first hint of Dehardine being the French uh, doctor. Yeah, that's crazy. So fascinating. So fascinating. And obviously, like you're not going to get that right away, especially if you if if you're not into like French uh, nursery rhymes and things like that. But whatever. Uh, he seems nervous and explains to her what what he is doing while doing it. Mia asks Deb how she is feeling, and she tells her she tells her that she feels uh, right as rain, with a radiant smile on her face. Uh, Sarah gets up to show her the footage, um, her pounding on the ground, and Deb is absolutely appalled and asks why didn't anyone stop her. And Mia tells her that they tried to stop her, but she was hallucinating. So once again, they're they're counting it off to it being Alzheimer's. Uh, 
Sarah yeah. tells her that um, that it was scary and explained to her that she was doing uh, uh, she was doing with her spade what she was doing with her spade to the ground. Deb starts to cry, and Sarah is still trying to explain. Excuse me, still trying to explain um, to her what she is saying. And she's telling her to answer the phone, and she was telling her to answer the to not answer the phone like he was calling her. Mia suggests that uh, they should stop, and Deb springs out of the chair and starts attacking Sarah while screaming. Everyone is frantically trying to subdue her, and once she falls to the ground, she comes back to her senses. We cut to Deb in the hospital while the doctors are trying to make uh, to take some spinal fluid from her back. And th- uh, this just made me feel so bad for her. Right. I remember like, the screen when I God. saw this. Oh, did you? Yeah. Oh man, you guys are gonna freak do me out so great, right? During Gore Month, <laughs> like, <laughs> I've become more squeamish. That's for sure. Oh my gosh, um, yeah, no, this this definitely was a rough scene, and yeah. it wasn't rough for me be, based off of the fluid getting taken out. It's rough because of how much pain she's in. Oh, yeah. for sure, and how for it me, looks. It's a combination of all of it. Oh God, don't think like I put it in my poor, notes. Poor woman. My notes during the scene, the only thing I put down was like, this skin condition looks gnarly as fuck. Yeah. 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 Oh, poor woman. They yeah. tell her not to move, and Deb is in so much pain from the procedure. Um, Mia starts talking about uh, starts talking about the doctors and her experiences. She says that the next few... Oh, she says that the next few weeks and the painful procedures have just raised more questions. Nazir is going over some cognitive exercises and Deb is constantly telling her that she can't do it. She starts to pick at her skin and then begins to start ripping the skin off. Nazir and other doctors jump on her to stop her. She starts rele- she starts releasing this vicious growl as they're trying to restrain her and she looks strong as shit. <laughs> She's like, oh, God. Oh, my gosh. I wonder if that was really her, like, doing the growls. Like, I wonder if that was not dubbing or anything. It sounds like it could have been her. Maybe. Yeah, that'd be crazy. I think it's an overlay. I think you think it's an overlay? Yeah, I really do. This movie has a a lot of overlays, and I'll point some out. And after watching a few times, they're super cringeworthy. But yeah, I'll point him out a little bit later. Uh, we cut to we cut to an interview with Nazir saying that they suspect a contact with with uh, dermatitis or some type of allergic reaction to the medicine because this condition isn't associated with Alzheimer's. And I even put here the thing I love particularly about this scene is the reflection on the window behind Doctor Nazir. You have the and I put here you have this issue with, with found footage movies of suspension of disbelief. Sometimes a movie is shot so well that it just seems like the cameraman's not a character but with the reflection we see both Luis and Mia Luis manning the camera Mia giving the questions and I thought that was perfect it it, it made me feel like wow there is no camera crew this is them they yeah. are the only yeah. ones here yeah. and I'm absolutely it genius makes it more authentic for sure absolutely absolutely Nazir mentions that they are bringing in a specialist from Richmond. Cut to Deb playing on the piano, looking absolutely horrible, playing, once again, Shaka, um, while looking into the camera. It is day 41, and the crew are pulling up to Logan's house. They... Uh, to the Logan's house. They notice that there is a car with their hazards on in front of the house. They head inside the house and call for Sarah and Deb, and they hear Deb growling and screaming from another room. This is the first 
initial kind of overlay problem that I have with this movie where I'm just like, oof. Because, like, when you rewatch it, <laughs> uh, Mia actually says, do you hear that? Before Deb starts growling. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yikes. Yeah, and honestly, I didn't notice it my first watch through, but yeah, now that either. I've seen this movie multiple times, like, you can definitely you notice it a lot more. That she says it, like like maybe a few not a few seconds but maybe a second or so maybe a little bit less than a second right before deborah starts growling and it's like oh kind of take me out a little bit (laughs) just a little bit they go upstairs into deb's room sarah yells for them to get her legs while um her and harris try to get uh, get something out of her mouth harris gets it out of her mouth and throws it onto the floor me and louise leave from the room and we cut to Mia and Sarah collecting Deb's belongings since uh, she tried to eat them. <laughs> While stacking the boxes, there are there is a snake behind one of the boxes um, that just fucking appears. And man, um, I thought adding the little tidbits of the snake was actually really really clever to give us senses of uh, like, hey, like this is this is a part of something bigger than we're mm-hmm. than what we're expecting. Exactly that. Um, Cut to Gavin talking into the camera, telling Luis that he is going to place his his uh, cross from his Aunt Bonnie um, and hang it on the window. Cool. Uh, Gavin goes into the room where Deb was in the dark with Luis. He goes up to one of her paintings with a tarp over it and takes it off. Uh, the images are of the window and a silhouette of ma- uh, and a silhouette of a man walking closer and closer to the window in each painting. And like I said, this dude is a fucking asshole because he right. just throws everything on the ground. That's literally what I put in my notes too. I was like, this guy's kind of an asshole. <laughs> like, why? Like, even, like, like, come on, <laughs> because you're, you're obviously not going to pick this stuff up. And let's say you are going to pick this up, right? Obviously, you're not going to pick it up now because we'll get to it. <laughs> he goes up to the window and places the cross on one of the nails. And when he is going to walk out, um, Deb is standing right there with a nasty look on her face. She's just like, get out of here. Uh, she tells him that she that she I love this part she tells him that you're letting my heat out and then the window flings <laughs> open such a good him. scene yeah great jump scare. I love this how moment. perfect is yeah. this scene so nonchalant oh. you can tell and as a viewer you know that she is not really she is no longer her right Felix right. is like confirmation of that Whatever and especially that. with all the images that you see that were painted like there's an entity very yeah. clearly and with putting the cross on the on the nail on the window it's a big statement that it mm-hmm. can be just flown off that we're dealing with something very very powerful yeah absolutely absolutely um but gavin ain't having it he dips he's like Fuck <laughs> this i am not about to stay here but he's still putting the camera at her right and like he's like yeah man oh uh he is uh showing mia and Luis what he saw and mia's brushing it off like it could be it could have been anything could have been a draft and (laughs) it's where i was just like you're all right now you're a bad you're a bad trope in horror Um, but it is what it is gavin says that he wants to double his rate or he is walking out on her and she's like super hesitant she's like oh fuck dude like come on smart man (laughs) smart man yep uh then she she agrees Luis says, if he's getting it, I'm getting it too. I was like, oh my like, God. My the swindle. Guy, 
I was like, this is this is how you do it. This is how you do it. I don't blame him. Shit, just welcome like, to Hollywood, baby. Either. Yeah, exactly. There you go. <laughs> go to Sarah tucking in Deb, and Deb is looking at the camera the whole time while she is doing this. Sarah tells her good night, and she doesn't and she doesn't say anything back. So she just begins to leave, and Luis slowly starts backing away, pointing the camera at Deb while she still is following his every movement with only her eyes. Man, what a scene! Creepy, so creepy. It's so very, very well done. We cut to the cameras watching over Deb in the hallway. Deb, oh, excuse me. We cut to the cameras watching over Deb and in the hallways. Deb gets out of bed and heads upstairs, um, gets completely nude, and then heads into a room. There, uh, There's this loud ringing. We cut to this loud ringing noise throughout the whole house, waking everyone up, and the lights won't turn on. Fuck, dude. Can you imagine? Jesus. I really thought, I really thought stuff was going to start going down at this point, right. and yeah, I was yeah, like, "Wow, yeah. this is happening really early, and we're going to have a ride." Oh yeah, oh yeah. Instead, we still had a ride, but things happened <laughs> way later. Uh, oh my gosh, the lights won't turn on, and they are trying, and they are trying to figure out what's going on. Sarah comes out of her room to tell them that it's the switchboard system that hasn't worked in years, and she is going to check on her mom. She yells that Deb is not in her room, and they are going upstairs. Um, calling for her. The ringing stops and the door to, to the room slams shut in front of everyone. Sarah gets the balls to open the door and head inside first. They hear scratching coming from the closet door and right when Sarah is about to open the door, something falls down, startling everyone. This is initially the scene that, that Freddie posted on Instagram. Yeah. Uh, another door slams. Uh, Sarah opens the door and there's... Um, an- there. And there is yet another door that's opened inside, but um, it is usually never open, according to Sarah. She has Louise go in first. <laughs> she's like, she's like, yeah, you go first. Yeah, he's right. like, what, first. and he's like, he's like, what? you want to make the brown guy go first? <laughs> and he is asking them why he has to go first, and that would have been my moment. I'm like, nope, this camera is not right. that heavy. You can go ahead and go first if you want a light source. Nope. Mm-mm. Not going in. Louise gives in and hesitantly heads inside the room. He is going up to the attic and he notices that there is a piece of Deb's skin on the steps going toward Ugh. the attic. He continues going up and he sees Deb plugging in cords into the switchboard. Sarah is moving um, closer and Deb starts to cry for help when she when uh and th- but then goes silent. With a booming guttural voice, she says, you're, uh, you're an ugly thing, and starts to violently plug the cord in and out until she gets electrocuted. And this is initially a slight little movie fact there, where you can see the transition of her going into her final form. Like, you actually get an image of... You get a flash. Uh, like, Dehardine and things like that when she's getting yeah. electrocuted. I saw Super that. Fascinating but and I... really clever. I saw uh, that. Tells I him was to like, call Shh. for the doctor. We cut to Deb breathing rapidly and Sarah trying to calm her breathing down. And this part's kind of scary. Like, you, like she's having a full blown like panic attack almost. Like it's it's pretty scary. 
Um, Nazir is trying to assist her and check to see if everything's okay. She tells Sarah that she needs control. She needs to control Dead's breathing. Sarah gets in bed with her and holds her until her breathing is controlled. Nazir tells Sarah that everything is fine with her, but she, uh, but that she just needs to rest. Okay. Afterwards, she gives Mia a sedative just in case that uh, just in case they need to sedate Deb. Sarah t- takes Nazir upstairs and tells her that she was plugging into three three seven over and over. It, I thought it would have been awesome if it would have been two three seven because that's the uh, room in the shining. The shining. Yep. Oh, cool. That, that would have been neat, um, but it wasn't. Uh, Nazir tells her to mention. Uh, uh, excuse me, hold on. Nazir tells her to mention it to Deb and try to have the memory be recalled. And Sarah asks if this will allow her to find, or if this will finally allow her to get peace. But we don't get an answer. Instead, we cut to day 43 and the crew going over the sound coming off of the camera from the switchboard. Gavin pulled the sound off and started talking about the gibberish that Deb was speaking. And she said, quote, the eternal serpent will free you, child. Be my fifth. I will wash you in the river. Um, your blood will feed the river. End quote. Uh, Sarah's asking who that is, and Gavin tells her that it's her mom speaking in French. Uh, this reminded me very much of like Candyman, like the, the way yeah. the wording kind of was and stuff like that. I thought that was really clever. Um, Mia asks, uh, Mia asks if it is the right. Excuse me. Me ask if it is the right file, and Gavin, irritated, <laughs> tells her that it is the right file. And he's like, "It's the right fucking file, Mia." And I'm like, Mia, <laughs> don't make him mad. Sarah tells him to turn it off, and uh, we cut to Sarah telling Harris what Deb was saying on the tape. He tells her that that they are exploiting exploiting them for their own benefit, um, and that he's will sell his things if they need money. Harris tells her to get rid of the crew or he will. And she tells them that they are going they're they are trying to help and they are staying. If I would have been Luis, because obviously he's watching them, and if I would have been Luis, I would have definitely like told my crew and be like, yo, like homeboy might do something crazy because sure. he does not want us here anymore. Like I would have told them immediately, like Maybe we should consider backing off before we get That's hurt. That's a good point. I didn't even um, think about that. They didn't. Inside the home, the crew and Sarah are looking for Deb's switchboard records. They are trying to get an index that is stuck in behind a cabinet, and Mia is able to squeeze her hand through far enough to get it out. They find an index from 1971. Um, they find an index from 1971 and 1972. Sarah notices that there is no custom profile for uh, 337. They notice that the page is ripped out and skips from 336 to 338. Luis asks Sarah if there is charcoal in the house, and then he grabs a, and she gives, and he asks for a piece of paper because he feels a depression inside the paper. Um, he starts scribbling on the depression on the paper to have the previous words appear. Oh, got a message. Hold on, guys. Yep. Uh, so, oh, cool. Awesome. All right, so uh, we're going to take a quick break to fix some technical issues really quick, guys. Uh, We're going to come back and pick back up in just a moment. 
All right, folks, uh, we are back. David had to actually leave because of the technical difficulties. Um, so thank you guys so much for bearing with us. We know that this isn't our professionalism that we usually have with these podcasts, but thank you guys so much for being patient with us during these times. Um, but we're just going to pick up right where we left off. He starts scribbling on the depressions of the paper to have the previous words appear. They find the number and the name H. Dehardine. Mia asks, who is he? Cut to Mia uh, looking him up online, and he was a local pediatrician thought to have killed four girls. Sarah tells, tells them that she remembers the curfews that were set all for the kids during the 70s. She continues by telling them that th there is a documentary about him, and she was surprised to um, know that they have never heard of him. They turn on the documentary. A man goes over how four young girls were found dead with serpentine carvings um, of their forehead, pieces of them eaten, and traces of of rattlesnake ven rattlesnake venom in their blood. <sighs> Jeez, man, <laughs> so intense. Like it's, it, crazy. It, it, it's crazy how this story transitions to like, oh shit, there's a serial killer on the loose who's fucking maniacal and doing rituals and shit. Right, there's like uh, so much going on. Yeah, and initially, like he his whole task was to find the fountain of youth. <laughs> like like that was like that was his task um another man says that they are uh they were reenacting uh, that uh Dehardine was reenacting a monacan blood ritual they were sacrificed during the their the women were sacrificed during their first menstrual cycle and henry Dehardine wasn't a suspect until he went missing they continued by uh saying he was well known and respected a month a month passed, and a paperboy tipped the cops to an older that was coming from his house. They uh, then they say that they found snakes everywhere, and the bodies uh, bodies of the snakes were opened up, and things like that, and they were just decomposing. And they also found um, books on rituals in his house. Um, and the guy also the person talking also said that he had a motive because he was dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. The ritual required five victims to gain immortality and the man speaking claims that he knows that he didn't finish the ritual. There was a manhunt and they couldn't find him. Some think that uh, that he killed himself or fled to Quebec. Back with the crew, and they are speaking with Deb and De about Dehardine. Deb tells them that she remembers the name, and Sarah asks if he was a client of hers. Deb tells tells them that she doesn't remember, but she thinks he was. Sarah continues by telling her that he went missing thirty years ago, and Deb um, uh, chimes in and tells tells her that he isn't missing; he's dead. And she continues by whispering, "Murdered." <laughs> <laughs> uh, Deb seems to be choking and gets up from the table and Sarah t uh, takes her into the bathroom. Mia is asking if they need help while she uh, he hears the sound of choking and gagging on the other end of the door. We get a loud bang and the sound of Deb throwing up. She uh, she comes Sarah excuse me Sarah comes out of the bathroom to call for help and she tells him to stay with her Deb is on the floor with dirt and worms covering the floor and around her mouth cut to Deb in the hospital on day 45 a doctor is telling Nazir that she has a split personality disorder Sarah cuts them off by telling them that she puked worms over the floor <laughs> and the doctor tries to tries to make something rational out of, out of that by saying that she is a gardener and uh gardener in that history and excuse me, in that history of swallowing inanimate objects. And I was just straight up just like, fuck the fuck off. 
Right. You know? It's like, at what point do you think you can stop doing excuses of what's rationalizing the situation? It's crazy. Exactly. Like, it's just like, okay, like, like now you're, you're, you're adding so many conditions to this woman where it's just like, okay, now all of a sudden she has pica and a split personality disorder and Alzheimer's disease. When Nazir said that this isn't necessarily the case of Alzheimer's, like you don't kind of stack more very intense mental disorders like that, like the way Nazir put it was initially like your brain is fighting like your brain is getting eaten by something. Therefore, your brain's not going to even be smart enough or have the capacity to add another mental disorder onto it because Alzheimer's is just taking over so much. So it's just like hmm. exactly. I don't know. It's super Crazy. interesting. Super interesting. Um, Sarah storms out of the room. Meanwhile, Harris is getting taken out of uh, out of room from Deb, and we cut to Lewis setting up cameras to watch over Deb. A nurse comes in to check uh, check on her, and uh, we cut to Sarah on the phone with Harris arguing about Dehardeen, and he hangs up on her face. Like man, fuck this! I don't hear this <laughs> shit anymore. Now with the mystery gang so showing Sarah an article that can potentially prove that Harris is trying to protect himself, saying that Harris was out on the property of Dehardeen's, excuse me, um, after his disappearance. Sarah needs clarification, and Mia starts telling them that he murdered Dehardeen and Deb covered it up for him. Gavin doesn't believe her accusation about Harris, and they are about to argue, but Sarah tells him to look. Uh, look for a place to grab dinner instead. Mia adds a, a sly remark about finding a place with us with salads, and Gavin responds with yet another smartass remark by saying, telling her like, "Yeah, salads and bumfuck nowhere." <laughs> like, <laughs> oh god, and, <laughs> right. Uh, this is the part where I started kind of liking him, just because he started getting like senses of his uh, surroundings a bit more. And oh, Mia, for sure. Mia is still kind of like. I don't know, ditzy with the whole thing, I feel like. Like, he's the know. realest one. He's like, I realize what's going on. Fuck this situation. Fuck what you're just requesting right now. Fuck your exactly. salad. Exactly. Yeah, like, yeah. Look at what's happening. Let's get out of this situation. Absolutely. While everyone is quiet around the room, Luis pans the camera over to Sarah and then a loud boom from outside the window. They get up to look and it is Harris shooting at their van. The crew runs downstairs and they are calling the, calling the cops to come get him. The sheriff comes and starts talking to him about shooting their van. He is drinking a beer and she helps, uh, she helps him into the cruiser. The sheriff tells them that uh, they can press charges if they like, and Gavin is completely for this idea. But Mia cuts him off and tells him that she told him that she said she would pay for his windows. I would have been like, "Bitch, I do not care. Fuck you. Fuck those windows. Fuck this place. Right. I'm yeah. pressing charges. I'm out." Sheriff Tweed tells him uh, tells them to just let them know what they decide to do. Sarah and Tweed are. Uh, outside talking a bit more Tweed tells her um, that she heard rumors about her mom hurting herself Sarah's, Sarah continues talking to her about the situation and Tweed lets her know if you need anything just call me Gavin is packing up his shit into the van to leave this place meanwhile <laughs> that and uh, that was it that was his last draw that was like right cool like, this I'm was out. it for me I'm done done deal 
like y'all can stick around if you want to. Me and smart Luis, me a uh, super smart man. Mia and Luis are trying to convince him to stick around, but he's not hearing it. Mia and Gavin get into an argument about him staying, about him not staying there uh, with them. And Mia's just like, "This is this is you being a team player." Blah 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 blah. And he's like, "Fuck you and fuck you." Like I'm done. Uh, Gavin asks Luis if. He, if he wants to leave with them, but he doesn't go with the, with him. Um, but Luis doesn't go with him, and Gavin's just like, "Cool, I'm out," and he and he dips out. Back at the hospital, Luis is uh, trying to check on Sarah in Deb's room, but they uh, they are both nowhere to be found. Mia goes to grab Nazir. We cut to Deb wandering uh, wandering the halls. Uh, of the hospital these two parents crying for their daughter because uh because deb took her out of her room the cop tells her that they have a a building have the building in lo- on lockdown and that they shouldn't that uh they should still be in the building deb is with the little girl holding her hand and a door automatically opens for them and they walk inside another wing of the hospital the uh, right. parents tell the cops that their daughter is sick and ask what uh, what are they doing to find their daughter. Uh, Nazir opens up a door with a guard in the abandoned wing in the kitchen. While looking around, there's a loud bang that startles everyone. And the guard is the one who gets the most scared. I love right. it. I love it. He's, he's like, he is, <laughs> he is terrified. Literally, like, in my notes, I put like, this hospital slip and they don't fucking know where their patients are. Uh, I said, like, oh, so For the real? lights don't work at the hospital anymore? I know, right? No, wait, wait. I was like, oh, lights is not a thing. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Interesting. Abandoned wings. Okay. Sarah asked, why would she take the girl in this room? And they start um, they start to hear a little girl whippering. Continuing their search, Nazir finally finally finds them facing the wall. And this gave me, like, major bla- uh, like Blair Witch vibes of them oh, like, sure. facing the wall and stuff. Nazir calls out to her while walking slowly towards her. She takes the little girl away from Deb, and then she slowly turns around, mean mugging them like crazy. She's just like, "Mm, nah, that's my (laughs) kid now. Deb is back in the hospital room, and she is screaming like crazy, trying like hell to not get these restraints put back on her. She's screaming, crying, growling, panting. Dude, it's so much going on. Like, it's just so much anxiety in this one scene. Jesus. Oh, for sure. So intense. It, it is. And the way that Deb is reacting, like, you can tell, like, like, okay, dude, like. Oh, yeah, this, she kills this, it. Yeah. Like, it's, 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 performance is fantastic, first and foremost. But, like, like, it's, the doctors at this point should be like, okay, something else has to be going on. Like, there's something we're missing. Because, like, she is, like, they obviously have never dealt with an Alzheimer's patient like this before. Uh, to the point where they had to do all these sedations and things like this because they're they seem scared, and it's just like it's not oh, like yeah. it's not like they seem like like oh nope this is this is a class this is a case uh, for sure of Alzheimer's this is all Alzheimer's everything, but no it's not. Cut to Sarah with a priest, and he tells her that he can bless Deb with oils, but an exorcism is in the realm of science fiction. Sarah tells him that she uh, she uh, used to think that, but she says that it won't hurt because they have to try everything. Um, the father says that he doesn't know anyone who will perform such a thing, and she doesn't believe him. And she tells him that there's uh, something else going on with her. Cut to Harris in the room with Deb. Mia asks, what's he doing here? 
and Sarah tells her that uh, tells her to give give him some space. Um, he's been visiting for a couple of days now. Outside the hospital, Mia is telling um, Sarah that she uh, contacted the anthropology professor Ernest from the documentary. We cut to them meeting. Uh, we cut to them meeting with him, and they sit down to show him the footage of Deb. He tells them that Deb has become obsessed with Dehardeen to the point um, that she thinks. Uh, she is him. Sarah and I'll put here. Sarah ain't playing with that shit though, and tells him that some cultures believe that. Uh, um, and he tells her that some cultures believe that weak-minded people are susceptible to the invasion of vengeful entities seeking a host. The young and old are most vulnerable. He goes on to tell them that uh, that he met a mother in ba- in Bantu whose son had died and held her son's corpse for over a month. Ernest brings out a picture of the woman holding her son and crying. And these images are rough. Right. I was like, okay, we're going there. All right. Yeah. Like, these are some really tough images. I was just like, huh. Like, like they were kind of, they were, they were pretty scary. Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And like, they, it kind of reminded me of like the Nat Geo stuff. Yeah. Like, 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 it's Nat very Geo like documentary style. Yeah. Type of yeah. like, Reveal, absolutely, absolutely, yeah, it's little for this movie for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, he tells them that she fell into madness, taking over her son's personalities, and it took two months before the spell was broken. A witch doctor had to, um, a witch doctor came and burned the boy's body, purification by fire. On day sixty, inside the hospital, Harris goes into Deb's room and unstraps her from her restraints. Deb tells him to shut the door, and he uh, and he does, and comes back to her. She then uh, she tells him to kill her, and he and hesitantly grabs a pillow to suffocate her. Deb is struggling and growling, and the TV above flies off and hit hits Harris in the back. Whew. Yeah, a little cheesy though. Oh, I put that in my little notes. I was like, eh, TV scene was a little cheesy. A little too much. I thought but I, th- I actually thought the TV was, right. was really, really cheesy. Um, I guess it worked for what it was trying to do, but it's just one of those things where it, it was very paranormal activity. Um, of where it's just like Yeah. Like like, oh, it's shaking and then wham. It flies and hits him. I thought that was a little lame as well. Yeah, but, maybe if we didn't even see the pre-shake and it was just like it, it just flying fell, towards yeah. him. That would be crazy. I was like, oh, shit. Like the yeah, window, it's like would... rapid or yeah, quick. Absolutely. That would be great. Yeah, no, I agree. I definitely agree. Um, we cut to the outside of the hospital while there, while these fire, uh, while there's fire trucks out there. Louise tells Sarah that Nazir says that something happened to Harris. We cut to Harris in the hospital bed while uh, the doctors are prepping him for surgery. Um, and I was just thinking like, damn, surgery? Damn, how hard did this thing hit him? Did it? It must have broke right. his spine or something. Like, fuck. You're a little uh, bit of an older dude. That's true. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Sarah comes in and claims that uh, she is uh, she is his daughter, and Harris tells her that her mother killed Dehardine by burying him in, alive near the statue in the woods. They pulled Sarah. Um, they pulled Sarah off of him and and forced her to get out of the hospital room. We cut to them running in the woods looking for uh, the location where he is buried. They start digging in the spot for the body, and um, they all notice that the soil is different in that spot. <laughs> Excuse me. 
Me and Luis are arguing with Sarah about uh, there really being a body that is buried in that spot. Eventually, Sarah strikes the spade and realizes that Deb got to the location before she did. Sarah runs back into the house, uh, runs back into the house, and tells them to look for fresh footprints inside the house. She tells them that uh, it it was. Excuse me. She tells them that it was sometimes her mom and sometimes Dehardeen, and he's making her keep the, uh, keep something. They continue looking, and they all stop uh, when they notice the ceiling is seeping moisture through. Sarah opens the third attic hatch, and even like uh, it's funny because uh, Louis, uh, yeah, Louis is like, "Damn, how many attics y'all people got?" Like, <laughs> no, he, he says he's like, "White people, their basements and attics." <laughs> yeah, I know that's so funny. Uh, Mia tells Louis to go first because he has the light. Um, and at first he said fuck no <laughs> and then he said just like, he was like fuck no <laughs> and I would have handed the camera right there with him like shit you right, have to like, like go you ahead take it. <laughs> you go Luis heads up um, the ladder and notices all the oozing liquid on the banisters Sarah points at something in, um, and it's a sack she pulls it out uh, she pulls it out of the hole and they all get a whiff of the stench that is in that is coming off of the sack. Sarah peeks in the sack and then screams. This is like the first time we hear a scream. Like I, I feel like like she she was pretty she was still like on edge, but she was like right. pretty together for the most part of this movie until this part. Um all the other all the others are asking what she saw and she opens it again and then uh, uh she opens it again for them to see as well. Sarah starts yelling that um it is him and that they have to do it. Mia um, says that it is not going to t- uh, that she is not going to touch the corpse, and Sarah says that she will do it. Um, and they're like, they're yelling, they're yelling at each other. Oh yeah, for point. sure. And you're 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 seeing kind of the back and forth, and and I I still like still this is the part where I still don't like Mia. I'm still just like, right. so annoyed with Mia. Um, Sarah picks up the sack with the body and tells them to go downstairs. They make it to the living room downstairs and place the sack on the ground. Sarah says that uh, they need to burn the body because that's what the professor said. While trying to light the fireplace, they start um, to hear hissing coming from the sack. I thought this was awesome. Oh, so good. Oh, yeah. And I feel like this is the turning point where this is now Sarah's movie and we're just following her. 100%. Yeah, Sarah Sarah's is the protagonist officially at this point, and I, I love it. It was like Mia was the side character now, and I thought that was so, so well done and so clever uh, on how they were able to um, turn our attention to someone else. And I, I thought that was perfect. I thought that was absolutely perfect. This became Sarah's um, story arc at this point in time. Uh, da, 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 da. uh, Mia goes to open the sack, and the snakes come pouring out of the sack. Everyone starts freaking the fuck out, and and throw the sack in the fireplace and try to light it on fire. They grab tra- uh, uh, they grab charcoal lighter, lighter, um, and pour it on the sack, but it's still not lighting. Uh, Mia tries giving it a go, and they're both yelling at each other. Mia and Sarah is just like, "You're not putting enough. You're not putting enough. You gotta press the button. You gotta press the button." And it, it's it's. Absolutely bananas. Uh, Mia uh, tries giving it a go, and, she, and they are constantly yelling at each other on who is doing it wrong, who is doing it right. It finally lights, and and they are about to start walking away, um, but there is a loud roar, and they are sent flying back from the fireplace. So you can tell this is where the budget starts to get a little cheesy. 
Right. And they, they were just like, oh, we got to, they probably, this was probably the point where it's just like, we got a, a little extra money. Let's, let's see what we scene. can, yeah, yeah, let's see what we can put it into. Um, cause you could tell most of their money came at the end of this movie. Oh, for which, sure. Which we're pretty much at. This is the third act, obviously, right here. Um, but Mia starts to scream. And oh, excuse me. Outside escaping the house, Sarah mentions that something is put uh, something put it out and it didn't burn. Mia starts to scream, and Louise looks at the direction of where she's screaming, and there's someone standing in the window, staring at them from Sketch. inside the house. That looked so good. Yeah, that, that was pretty so good. good. Uh, they all start to run into the forest. They get a dis- uh, they get a decent distance away from the house, and Sarah's phone starts to ring. Sarah tells them that Deb has escaped from the hospital, and then she runs back into the house to grab the remains of the fireplace. Uh, they make it to the hospital, and Sarah barges into the hospital room with these cops all in the way. Um, and I was I even put here. I was like, I mean, come on, stop her! Like, like you you should have the power. But this is the part earlier when I was saying when David was on. Um, that the 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 voiceover work was horribly dubbed here like <laughs> it was dubbed on the cops and the cop is like not even like moving his mouth wait and really I, like, I did not notice it i know yeah like and i didn't notice it the first go around and like i said i've watched this movie a few times so like i i finally am able to look at other things and i was just like his mouth isn't moving what the fuck <laughs> And I think I even watched this movie semi-recently, like maybe a month ago, because my wife Kathleen wanted to watch it. But interesting. Uh, The the bed that she was on is covered in blood from breaking out of the restraints. Nazir tells her that she is heading back or she is heading downstairs to help a guard who went into anaphylactic shock from from snake venom. We see Deborah on her bed slipping out of her restraints, and a and boy is it gross! It's like oh for sure, so disgusting falling off. And I was like, ooh, that looked good. Uh, back in the lobby, and Sarah is speaking uh, uh, speaking to an officer, but the man whose daughter was uh, taken starts yelling about finding his daughter yet again. And I'm just like, damn, bro, twice, twice. Like, look, look after your daughter. <laughs> At this point, like yeah. that would have been watch her. I would have been all up in my daughter's room if she would have got taken from her fucking bed once before. It's right. no way like that would have, that would have happened again for sure. Like get the fuck out of here. Twice. At this point she deserved to get taken. <laughs> um uh he is looking at Sarah asking if she has any answers on where his daughter could be. We cut to Deb and the little girl about to leave the rear exit and the guard and a guard stand uh is uh Standing in front of standing in front of her, she lunges and takes a bite out of his neck and uh, walks back out of the walks out of the hospital. Cuts to Sarah outside waiting for uh, Sheriff Sheriff Tweed. Um, once she arrives, Sarah is trying to tell her what is going on with the ritual and where she might have gone. Another officer comes up to tell Tweed that um, that a car was stolen from the parking lot. Sarah, Sarah tells her that uh, she is going to the Monacan Mill and she is begging to uh, come with her. In the car, and they are following Tweed, Sarah is telling Mia uh, that he has uh, to complete the ritual with the fifth girl. And the only place um, he could go is in the cave system in uh, Monacan Mountain. Uh, they make it to the point where they find the car and the sheriff's pull and the sheriff's 
a car pulls pulls up to them telling them to get in and to take the that they'll take the fire trail uh to get the jump on them so we'll get the jump on them if we take the fire trail and uh i actually thought this part was a little lame mainly because it's like it's no way in <laughs> yeah. hell that a cop is gonna let just any citizen even if you know them come with you especially if you have a camera oh for sure yeah like no way get small town places maybe i don't know maybe i don't know i need to ask some friends who live in small towns but i don't really have that many uh, i have a few so i'll probably ask um, maybe it's just like a lost person's case where it's like oh yeah you can help find your mom sure she your mom who's known for fucking slipping out of restraints ripping her skin off yeah right no way and a talking uh security guard too you're right they would yeah. not let him yeah no way at this point it's like yo like i know this is your mom but if i have to shoot her i i will like <laughs> um mia tells tweet that uh oh, excuse me in the car and they find deb and the little girl mia tells tweet that she can give her a sedative if she is able to restrain her tweet tells her okay and stay behind her and this is this is where the suspension of disbelief leaves, where I'm just like, ah, like it's still this is still a very intense moment because obviously we won't have a movie if they were smart, but um, it just was one of those things where I was like, ugh, like it's a little cringy, it's a little early two thousands and early two thousands and tens, um, kind of vibe, but whatever. Um, Tweed walks up to her slowly and giving her orders to not move, uh, release the child, and, you know, cop shit. Uh, the little girl, Kara, is repeating, don't hurt him. He's a nice man, with a blank look on her face. They continue moving, and Tweed places a, um, places on, uh, places a cuff on her, while Deb looks with pure anger into the camera. Deb spits on one of the officers' face and ran off with Kara. He falls to the ground, telling them to get the girl. Tweed tells them that they need someone. They need someone to get get him down from the mountain. And Mia tells Louis Louis that um, he was like, Louis, it has to be you, man. It has to be you. I would have been like, yeah, what Shit. the fuck? Like pl- with pleasure, I would be more right. than happy to get the fuck out of here. I just yes, thought the I line itself, the line itself was really weird. That she said, it "Like it weird. has to be you." I'm like, "What? Okay, like, what you, like, sure." What do you mean? And even I mean, his situation backfired because yeah. Luis, Luis tells her that he was like that she lost her mind, and um, and she says that she can't leave Sarah. And I was like, "You right. don't even know Sarah. Like you've met her for uh, two months. Like, nah, that's not if enough. that." If that, yeah. that's not enough for me. Um, he tells her that she hasn't learned shit and, and hands her the camera, then help, then helps the cop to the car. Tweed, Sarah, um, and Mia are looking for Deb and Kara. Uh, they stop in front of the river, and Mia notices that the river that it is River Rouge. That's in the documentary. They continue moving, and, and uh, they notice footprints going inside the mill. Tweed turns to Sarah to tell her that she is going to go inside and bring her mom out. Mia and Sarah are waiting outside, and Mia decides that this is a good time to tell to tell her about her grand tell her that her that she lied about her grandfather. Like, this is not a good time, and even Sarah's just like, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like, what? Just, uh, give me the camera. Like, I don't care. Um, Sarah says, uh, says she doesn't care, and she takes the camera from Mia. She is looking around, looking through the windows, and then a shot goes off. Did this shot scare you? Like, did you, did you, did you get a jump scare nah. from this? No, not no? really. 
Nah, I didn't either. Um, but uh, Kathleen did. And I was like, oh, oh I can no. see how that's unexpected. Like, True. I, I can definitely yeah. see how that's an unexpected thing. Uh, they run inside the mill calling for Tweed to make sure she is okay, but no answer. Mia calls out to Sarah and asks if she if she sees anything. Sarah doesn't answer her, but continues searching for Tweed. She finds Tweed dead on the floor with snakes coming out of her chest. I'm like, fuck. Right. I that wanted to see how intense. that happened, though. I did, too. I wanted to see. Yeah. Uh, there's a scream from Kara, and we see uh, Deb... Uh, running deeper into the cave while Sarah chases after her. Mia comes in after Sarah. Uh, Mia is freaking out and Sarah is telling her to calm down and that she is going to hand the cam- hand her back the camera, um, but the light goes out. And Mia is freaking out, dude. She's freaking out. Uh, Mia is still freaking out, takes the camera, and the light comes back on. When the light is back on, Sarah is nowhere to be found for a quick second. You hear Kara screaming bloody murder, and Mia starts running towards the screen. She makes it back with Sarah, and she continues forward to make it out uh, to make it to Kara. They crawl through snakes and finally make it to the point where they can group uh, group and come up with a plan. Sarah tells Mia that she will sedate Deb while uh, she grabs Kara and then burn the remains of Dehardine. Sarah tells her that they have to shut off the light. Um, Mia turns on the night vision portion of the camera and Deb is performing the uh, incantation of on Kara and Sarah is sneaking up behind Deb with the sedative. Deb turns around and roars and grabs Sarah. Um, Kara is screaming yet again and Deb is on top of Mia about to bite her, but Sarah gets her gets her off in time. They continue uh, they continue moving to find Kara and hopefully uh, save her from Deb this time because <laughs> it was like, okay, cool. That was a failed attempt. Right. <laughs> Got it. Um, oh, man, I don't know how I would be in this situation at this point in time. Cause like, obviously like this is your mom, but it's just right. like, fuck. Like I have a gun. Should I shoot her? Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, that's a hard one. That's a, that's cool. a tough, that's a tough spot to be in. Yeah. In general, even going through that little tiny hole with all the snakes. Dudes, yeah, uh, that was oof. Sarah killed it though. He's like, she get did. out of my way. She yeah. fucking smacked one away. I was like, yeah, holy she smacked, shit, smacked one of the snakes. Like, respect. Okay, like, okay. She's wild. Sarah pulls out a gun from her backpack and starts moving closer towards them. The light is going in and out uh, while they are looking for them. She slowly goes around a rock and she notices that her family, that her mom, I was going to say her family, her mom is starting to swallow her whole like a snake. What was your first thought process when you saw this? I think at least I think you showed me the poster a while back, so I've seen it before. So it didn't shock this, me this, as much. This shouldn't be on the poster because the poster is just red. I remember uh, I've seen it Deborah before. Deborah Logan's now. face. You've seen it before because it was a gif that was floating around. And that's what Probably. brought this movie back up. Because everybody was um, putting this gif and using it as a meme. And that's how Kathleen heard about this movie because she saw the gif on on uh Instagram. And Which she's like I've probably seen it there. Yeah, it's possible. Because even was cool. Kathleen it was, was cool. asking me, like, which is like, do she showed me the gif and she's like, Do you know what the movie is? I was like, Yeah, that's a take of Deborah Logan. I'm like, Yeah, that, that movie's wild. And she was like, She's like, Oh, I want to see it. I'm like, it's on Shutter. And she's like, Really? <laughs> Let's watch yep. it, and we watched it that day. Uh, and um, but yeah, this scene—it's still wild, though. Like, just 
Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Something you don't expect to see at all in a movie or in general. It's like... True that. Yeah, yeah. It's like, all right. Oh my gosh! Uh, they chase after them, and Sarah tells Deb to fight him and not um and not allow him to win. She lets off a huge roar, and with her mouth gaping completely split open, Sarah is able to stab the sedative in her neck, and she tries uh. She tries to overpower Deb. Sarah grabs Kara and places her behind Mia. Deb is in the corner cackling at them. She's like, like slowly, like on the ground, looking at them at the camera, blood on her face. And, uh, 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 yeah. I'm like, whoa. Was, was, bye, was, bye, bye, bye. That was pretty creepy. I was like, cool, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to take Kara out of here and we're going to leave. Sarah grabs uh, grabs uh, the remains of Dehardine and lights that shit on fire. You hear screams and roars and you even kind of see images of screams going on the rocks and shit. It's pretty wild. You can tell this is where the budget really came into play. Sarah throws the remains and they explode in a pit. She calls out to Deb and Deb calls out to Sarah crying in a corner. Sarah hugs her mom. And then we cut to a news reporting of the abduct- of the abduct- the abduction of Kara. Deb is placed on a gurney. They jumped to another news reporter talking about the incident that happened in the mountain. Then another reporter talking about Deb's condition led her to be unfit to stand trial. They show her in a wheelchair being assisted out, and she just looks absolutely horrible. She yeah, like she looks gone, like she's completely gone. Like you may as well be dead. Like literally like lobotomized. Yeah. Look. Like just completely just everything's just gone. Mentally, physically, everything. And this is it. Like that that like we don't hear anything else about Sarah or Mia or anything. Um, which I find interesting and awesome, mainly because we know they didn't die, which makes this whole thing more believable because that's the thing about found footage uh, films. You, everyone seems to have died in a found footage film, but the only right. thing is yeah. found footage movies always have edits in them and music and so on and so forth. That makes it seem like, okay, well who's editing this if they died? Right. Like who, who did the morbid shit of taking this footage of this, of these dead people and started editing their footage to turn it into a documentary series or a movie or whatever. Um, and it takes away from the suspension of disbelief. But having them be alive makes it seem like, okay, she finished her project. It just turned into something else. That's what that's what I got from it. I like that. No, that's really good. I agree. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, another reporter is at Kara's house celebrating her birthday and her remission from cancer. The reporter asks her what does she plan on doing in, quote, her old ripe age. Kara tells him that she doesn't know and he tells her that she better make a plan and she tells him that she has one already he asks her what it is and she tells him that it's a secret then she slowly looks into the camera strikes a very uncomfortable smile then credits yeah solid movie solid movie I like this movie I like this movie a lot I'm I'm not in love with this movie but like I said when it comes to found footage films they they do it they right. did it right like they this, it right, is, this sure. is a very well done found footage movie to where you have those aspects of suspension of disbelief and so on and so forth um and that that was the problem with um Neroi, the curse because it, it 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 had these moments where it's just like it told you in the beginning that 
that the main guy went missing and so on and so forth. And yet all of this footage is compiled together together. How? Right. How, yeah. like, how, how is this footage compiled if he went missing, if he's no longer around to compile the footage? Like that just makes no sense. And this made sense where it made me just believe where it's just like, okay, yeah, I can see that they, they edited everything because they're still alive. Right. Like no, the only person who died was Sheriff Tweed. Oh, so sad. Yeah, which sucked. <laughs> it's like, oh damn, that's that's a bummer. Right. Um, but I actually don't have any facts on this movie. You know, I I don't I don't have any facts at all on this movie actually. Uh, but let us know over on Twitter what you think about the taking of Deborah Logan. Um, on and you can let us know over at Goodnight Life, and that's night with a K. Um, but by all means, yeah, I definitely want to know what your guys' thoughts are. Uh, Found Footage Month is still going strong. We got one more movie, and the next movie we have is going to be a mumble gore found footage film uh, called The Poughkeepsie Tapes, which is uh, I've only seen it once and. From what I remember, it was pretty intense, and I'm very excited to get into it again. Um, hopefully, it Perfect. still holds up in my <laughs> eyes, um, but it's very, very mumble gore. Um, and just for those of you who don't understand what mumble gore is, uh, mumble gore is a is a, a type of footage, or excuse me, is a type of film that initially is more of a kind of grainy grunge type of movie that isn't supposed to look good, um, but it it also is supposed to give you. I guess the experience of not necessarily looking old, but looking more amateur. Um, and Mumblegore is a very fascinating type of shooting, um, especially for horror. It's it's so interesting. It, but initially, take a Nirvana song and uh, turn it into a movie. <laughs> That's Mumblegore. Uh, so it's it's a very fascinating take. It's a very grungy look, and I, I love it. But yeah, the Poughkeepsie tapes, that's what's going to be next on our list. Thank you guys so much for sticking with us. Sorry once again for all of the technical difficulties that we had tonight. We worked through it. We got through it. David, thank you so much for being in the first half of this episode. Sorry that things weren't working out to where you can stick around, but totally fine. Um, but this was Nightlight, a horror movie podcast. I was one of your hosts, Prince, also known as Head Knight. And on one end there, we got Freddy. Stay spoopy. Also known as Nighty Night, we had David, but he had to dip because technical difficulties are good. Uh, but <laughs> Spoopy Boys out. <laughs> our efforts to get our show out is not enough. We need your help to spread us out to more ghoulish nights. Rating us five stars is very helpful, but we would love for you to recommend this podcast to someone you know who would actually enjoy it. You can further support the show over at patreon.com forward slash goodnightlife, and that's night with a what? K. By pledging on Patreon, you'll have access to the show as early as Monday. If you don't have any bucks to toss, don't worry. An episode is released every Friday on most podcast services around the world. And remember, everybody, don't forget your nightlife.